Welcome to NeuroNoodles Neurofeedback and Neuropsychology Podcast featuring neurofeedback tech legend Jay Gunkelman. Our goal is to provide information and promote options for better mental health. My name is Pete and today we're going to talk about Jay Gunkelman. Yes, that jigsaw puzzle that we've heard about all through the years. We're going to put the pieces together. I doubt we're going to fit it all on one show, but we're going to try. Well, before we get to the Jay Gunkelman story, we got some Patreon love to dish out. We are supported by listeners and businesses just like you, like our gold supporter, Applied Neuroscience Incorporated. The creators of NeuroGuide, the premier EEG assessment and training software whose demo version can be downloaded from the link here. Hey, attend ANI's pre-conference workshop at the ISNR 2022 conference Wednesday, July 27th, between 8 a.m. and 4.30 p.m. The workshop will concentrate on assessment and protocol preparation using the Neuro Navigator and the Symptom Checklist, which includes cerebellar ROIs and uses SW Loretta for more precise targeting and cross-frequency coupling. Training will be introduced. And hey, if you want a coupon code, email Pete at Neuronoodle.com. I'll hook you up. Learn more at AppliedNeuroscience.com slash NeuroGuide. Hey, thanks to our silver supporters, Mary Tracy's awesome QEG training program at EEGStrategies.com and MindMedia's Nexus EEG Amplifier. Welcome aboard, Erwin. They're at MindMedia.com. So, um, so, Jay, Jay, what happened to... to I mean, we're getting, I don't know how much time you got it. You know me, I got all day for you. How did you, uh, how did you run into the problems with uh, the chemicals or whatever? Uh, oh, that okay. story, yeah. My entire life, I've been environmentally oriented. I mean, nature has always been one of my favorite things. My family traveled a lot, uh, car trips to Estes Park and very, uh, all over the U.S. It was a natural for me. Uh, in North Dakota, there was a group called United Plainsmen. Uh, the North Dakota was trying to uh, divert salt water from a, a saltwater basin, Devil's Lake. <laughs> that gives you an idea what the water was like, you know. Yeah. Um, and they were going to reroute that around and then uh, uh, dump it into the, the Red River and it would flow up into Canada. And uh, dumping salt water into Canada really wasn't a popular thing in Canada. Uh, the, uh, we, we resisted it uh, as best we could in the U.S. Uh, finally, the Audubon Society's uh, critique that there was some bird that was going to end up getting its area flooded or something, and that, that, that it was stopped because of that. But in the meantime, Canada actually dammed the river briefly and flooded a couple of counties in North Dakota, suggesting that if they didn't want the water, they did have an alternative. Uh, North Dakota is as flat as a pancake, and it just flooded, you know, just water just spread out. And, um, uh, and uh, you know, government finally said, okay, okay, okay. You know, uh, So the Garrison Diversion Project finally uh, was ended. When I came out to California, um, I was involved in a, a, a bunch of routine things. Uh, a lady friend of mine from North Dakota was actually in Earth First, which is a, a rather direct action group. Uh, she did street theater. Um, she was on the evening news on Tom Brokaw calling her an environmental terrorist. Uh, her parents saw that on TV. They actually put Smokey the Bear outfits on and chained themselves across Fishing Bridge. Um, 
to, to protest the intention of building a campground right next to where the the bears fish for salmon on, on the river. I mean, it was it was a stupid move uh, uh, to to consider that. But little kids, mommy, why are they arresting Smokey the Bear? You know, so street theater, and yeah. um, uh, they they also gave the uh, head of Yellowstone Park an environmental award. It was a a cow pie with an ATV track through the cow pie. They were protesting cows being uh, raised, you know, grazed on in Yellowstone um, on the park, and also ATVs use in the park. So a big cow pie award she she didn't burn buildings she didn't shoot people it wasn't that kind of terrorism it was street theater yeah, yeah. um and, and she's an artist she lives in in homer uh, alaska and is a really quite famous little local artist up there but uh i consulted on environmental projects uh sierra club uh bay chapter sierra club called me an eir hitman uh they, they would have a project they would hand me a stack of documents that was six to eight inches thick. And I would go over the documents real quickly and tell them where the Achilles heel was, if they wanted to kill the project and what needed to be done to make it better, if they wanted to approve it with improvements. And um, so they called me an EI or hitman. Um, I stopped a garbage burning plant, a little tiny community called North Richmond. And at the time it was primarily African-American. Now it's more Asian than than African American in many respects, but uh, it's still extremely poor people. And if you're if you're looking for your next step, you're looking at your feet. You're not looking at the horizon line. You don't watch things coming. And uh, the garbage burning plant was proposed, and I realized garbage burning is just the nastiest, dirtiest thing you can imagine. It as toxic as can be, and uh, the it's going to be in this poor community. And uh, I organized to stop the proposal and we stopped it. it. And they lost a $42 million contract with PG&E to sell electricity. Well, they sued me and 499 unnamed co-defendants for conspiracy to obstruct their project. It, they tried to shut everybody up while they were trying to renegotiate the contract with PG&E for an extension under what's called force majeure. Uh, 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 it's a contract clause. If there's something, you, an act of God that you can't predict, uh, then you could say, well, the contract's no good because of this act of God. Well, and what was that act of God? Public opposition <laughs> uh, to a garbage burning plant. I mean, of course you're going to get public. Op- there, it was a ridiculous, it was a slap suit, strategic lawsuit against public participation. And we sued them back. And um, we actually ser- served the five directors of the sanitary district that was going to build that plant individually, not the district. If you flush your toilet in the district, we weren't suing you. We sued the five idiots that sued us with a, a, a frivolous suit. There is no civil conspiracy law. There's a criminal conspiracy law. And I admit we conspired to obstruct their project, but it was a civil conspiracy, not a criminal one. So, their uh, their suit was thrown out. It was actually written up in the law journal. What do you do when you get a slap suit? You slap back. And it almost stopped slap suits. They're, they're still done, uh, but uh, you you have to protect yourself as a director uh, in a corporation with DNO insurance, which doubles your liability insurance cost. It, but it covers you if you make a double, deliberately bad 
you know, act as a, as a director in a company. So uh, it's still done, but it's done very rarely because you've got to, again, double up your insurance cost. This one project that happened next door to the town I lived in, they had a little pinhole leak at a refinery, and it shot up a little mist up into the sky, and it was a catalyst. A vanadium, boron, it was called catacarb. It was Unical, owned the refinery at the time. And they had this leak, but they didn't tell anybody because they had a production goal. They They leaked for 16 days. And then finally, the leak was so bad that the refinery tank farm next door complained that their workers were getting sick from it. And uh, so they had to shut it down. But at that point, it became public knowledge that they had a leak. And uh, I had washed the little droplets. It looked like little drops of honey uh, that had dropped on on the car. And I, I washed the car with sticky stuff and it didn't wash off with just soap and water. It, it had to have a, a stronger detergent. I got some on my arm. It caused a rash. I had negotiated a settlement with the refinery uh, that they set up a, a clinic in town. There were some people that got really, really sick with autoimmune problems because of the exposure. The environmental environmental medicine doctor specialist saw my rash. He said, that should have gone away a month or so ago. Let me do a blood test. And he called me the next day. He said, you know, there's nothing right in your blood chemistry. And I, there's only one spot in the body that controls all of these systems. It's your pituitary. Uh, we want you to go and have an MRI. I, I work in neurology. I, I send people to the MRI center fairly frequently. So I called him up. Hey, June, this is Jay. Uh, can you squeeze one in? Oh, yeah. Who is it? Well, it's me. What did you do this time? I said, well, they want to scan my head. And they said, well, at least they're looking the right place, you know. So <laughs> um, so I went in, they scanned me, and I realized when the scan took a little bit longer. And when I came out, nobody would look me in the eyes. So I knew they found something. And the receptionist said, well, where do you want the film sent? And there were still films. They weren't digital on a on a disc yet. And um, right. there was still, still you know, like a big X-ray uh, uh, film. And I, I said, well, send them to my office. And uh, I, I had the pack sent directly to me. And as I'm pulling them out, as, you know, there's, there's, there's a whole bunch of films. As I'm pulling them out of the pack, I could see in the light reflected off of them. There's a golf ball size white spot in the middle of my head that shouldn't be there. It was shaped like a yin-yang symbol. And I have a bias towards philosophical Taoism, uh, having studied world religions and philosophy. So I'm seeing this yin-yang symbol at the middle of my head. I, I had to have a laugh about that. And uh, I immediately called Mike Bass, who is a neurologist in the lab, who told me, one more thing wrong with you, you'll be a monster. And I see this tumor, and I thought, well, I got to call Mike. You know, So I called Mike right away. I said, Mike, I'm looking at an MRI in my head. And they said, they examined the right spot. Same same joke, you know. And uh, I said, you know, I'm, I'm looking at it, I'm seeing a golf ball size tumor in the middle of my head. And there's this long pause. And Mike says, God, Jay, I don't know what to say. I said, yeah, you do. I called you to tell me I'm a monster. Don't you remember? One more thing wrong with you, be a monster. And we both had a, a you know, medical people, right, right, right. you know, uh, we had a good laugh, you know. And uh, but uh, two weeks after that, I, uh, I was in Charlie Wilson, who invented the transphenoidal take your face off, take the tumor out through where your nose should have been and put it all back together. Uh, he invented that surgery. He did mine as one of the last groups that he did. He was just retiring 
uh, he stepped away from the uh, head of neurosurgery at UC Med Center in San Francisco, and uh, Stanford and UC Med Center were all merging. And if you're a teaching hospital and you're becoming a regular hospital, the teaching goes all to hell. You know, he was the only one who knew the system well enough to be able to make sure it still worked as a teaching facility. So he stepped down from active practice and went into kind of the administration of how to how to merge the Stanford and UC Med Center. And, and they did it effectively. So they, they give you half a chance of living 10 years if you don't have any pituitary. And this is now 30 years ago. I'm 20 so, years so, past. So, so 92, this, this all went down or so? 92, yep. 93. Okay. Yeah, 92. And, and, the and here of the you year. are. Yeah, uh, just to piss off their statistician, I got to stay alive, you know. Um, it, it's an accurate estimate uh, that I've had enough near-death experiences to have a near-death experience rate, you know, and a, not the, you want a heart rate and a lot of rates you want to have, you know, but not a near-death experience rate. But it's, it, it's a unique experience. At first, they were a little upsetting, but it's kind of like a, a thrill ride now, you know. So, so um, if you don't. So if you don't have pituitary, I mean, uh, you're, you're flushing everything out of your body, right? I, what... You don't have any control over anything. I I slam my system with steroids in the morning and afternoon and thyroid compound and growth hormone and all kinds of drugs to keep things balanced. And vasopressin, synthetic form of vasopressin, DDAVP, nasal spray to regulate kidney function. If you take too much of that, you demineralize your bones and your bones are going to have difficulty anyway because of the steroids. And But the growth hormone tries to keep the bone intact. I mean, it's all a complex balance that your pituitary does instantaneously, little subtle adjustments, you know, assuming it's working. You know, no vasopressin, you have diabetes insipidus. You know, you think diabetes, what's that, type 1, type 2? No, no, no. Diabetes insipidus is just water. Your, your kidneys don't concentrate urine at all. You just pass water. Specific gravity, 1.0. In the hospital, the little Irish nurse, she she was just retiring. Uh, she she came in and, you know, you'd have to pee in the little container. Mm-hmm. And she holds it up next to a, a little color strip. And she says, primrose white. <laughs> so there's, there's no color at all, you know. Uh, primrose white is a is basically the color of urine when there's no uh, urine; it's just water. And uh, so they knew I was going to have to be on uh, vasopressin. If you don't take enough vasopressin, uh, you you basically have salt flushed, and uh, you can become hypokalemic, and then your heart stops. That's a very common way to pass. The other thing is you cannot have enough steroid in you. You catch a common cold, just a regular common cold. You're going to have to take more steroids when you catch a cold. Your body would normally make more cortisol as an anti-inflammatory to keep you from having excess inflammation from being sick. Well, with no control over that, you go to bed, you fill with fluid, and you die in your sleep. You drown in your sleep. So that's very common. At one point, I was with a, a, a an ER doc, and I were together for about five years. One of the, uh, my exes, basically, and uh, I would wake up occasionally in the evening. She would stick me in the butt with a, a steroid shot. I'd wake up with a, an injection happening, and she said, 
Don't get excited. Hold still. You don't have enough vital capacity. You're filling with fluid. I, th- I got some steroids in you. I think you're going to dry out well enough and live. You know, and you, you go through the whole near-death experience thing, land there and come back. So my second wife actually offered to give me a few shots in the ass, but the glint in her eye on the 18-gauge inch-and-a-half needle, I thought, nah, uh, you know. She wanted to use me stiletto. Scott, you know, you don't know what you're doing. You'll jab it into a bone and snap the tip off or something, you know. So um, she was a little too eager. But, so, you know, I, I juggle meds to stay alive. And uh, I've apparently done it better than I than most people would have. But uh, 28 years in, a couple years ago, uh, the seal popped. They basically cut the inside of your upper lip and lift it up and cut the base of the nose. They lift all that out of the way. The septal triangle of the nose hole has a vertical septal bone in it. They chisel that out, set it aside. And they go in, there's a sphenoid sinus right there. It's, it's like a, a, a tissue thin bone. And they cut that off. And then they cut the back of that open. The pituitary is, is right there. And they just pluck the, the tumor out from underneath. Well, when Charlie Wilson touched mine, it popped. It, 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 there was an AVM, arteriovenous malformation, inside the tumor. The tumor saved me from the AVM for 42 years before it was touched and it popped. Charlie said, you know, you could have lifted something or turned your head or sneezed or something. It was ready to pop. It would have been the last thing you heard. Like 45 minutes later, the pressure would have killed you. Unless you were like in a hospital, prepped and ready to go the likelihood is that it would have killed you. So I was building my own house up in the Sierras at the time. I I had lifted heavy beams into place, 14 inch by six inch beams. Um, Yeah. Big, heavy beams. I'm surprised it didn't pop, but I would have been 45 minutes away from Marshall hospital in Placerville, which is a clinic, really not a hospital. It's, it's labeled a hospital, but the doctors there, couldn't have kept me alive. I had to actually sell the house that I built. It was a three-story house out in the middle of the wilderness in Grizzly Flats, California, uh, which except for that house and a couple others, the whole Grizzly Flats burned down uh, this last year. You know, forest fire took it all out. My house had a hundred foot perimeter around it, clear sprinklers on the roof. And it had a a gravity fed fire uh, hydrant in front of the house. So they could actually defend the house and a couple of neighbors' homes nearby. And they were the only homes that made it. it, it every other house up there burned to the ground. And um, oh, wow. it, yeah, hundreds and hundreds of homes torched and you know totally lost. A school, a post office, uh, the ranger station, I mean, everything burned. At, at first, I had heard that the, that the whole place had burned. And I was really heart sick that, that the house I built was lost. I had a, uh, a stone fireplace uh, in it that was collection of rocks I picked up for a, about a decade before I built that. So I was kind of heart sick that it had been lost. Yeah, yeah. But the next day I looked at, uh, at the fire map and the fire map had like you could have thrown from the upper deck a baseball and, and hit the fire. You know, it was that close and yeah. uh, it, it didn't take out the house. We are supported by listeners and businesses just like you, like our gold supporter, Applied Neuroscience Incorporated, the creators of NeuroGuide, the premier EEG assessment and training software whose demo version can be downloaded 
from the link here. Hey, attend ANI's pre-conference workshop at the ISNR 2022 conference Wednesday, July 27th, between 8 a.m. and 4.30 p.m. The workshop will concentrate on assessment and protocol preparation using the Neuro Navigator and the Symptom Checklist, which includes cerebellar ROIs and uses SW Loretta for more precise targeting and cross-frequency coupling. Training will be introduced. And hey, if you want a coupon code, email Pete at Neuronoodle.com. I'll hook you up. Learn more at AppliedNeuroscience.com slash NeuroGuide. So, so, so Jay, you did the sur- you got the surgery done. If if they went in, what, what happened to the eye? Uh, they patched the hole with the septal bone. Uh, and then the, before the surgery, uh, they take a pint of blood. And they spin off the fibrin glue. Uh, when you make a scab, the the fibers in the scab, not the red part, but the, the white part that's a, yeah. a fibrous mat, that's fibrin glue. And um, uh, they airbrushed that over top of the septal bone to plug the hole because you'd leak cerebrospinal fluid out, except if they patched that. Well, they patched it, but my brain would pressurize from inflammation and it would squeeze the fat that they put in to replace the tumor. You can't have a golf ball size oh. void in the middle of your head. Uh, Barry Sturm would call me blubber brain. <laughs> uh, he heard the story, and after that, I was blubber brain. And uh, the distortion on the back of the eye, the retina is so damaged from the yeah. being poked so often that the vision is just too distorted. I can see out of the eye, but it's like a funhouse mirror. And, okay. you know, EG should go up and down, not back and forth. Right. So, you know, I, I have to cover it the C straight. Right. So I can take this off and you just look really funny. You know, there's yeah, yeah. The, the images can't be merged. They're just too discrepant. And then the story behind the uh, unique uh, eye patch. Uh, well, uh, if you're going to have to have a, an eye patched, you could buy a $18 one from some costume store, you know. Uh, but I went online and I found this artist who made these outrageous leather eye patches she she you know does some that look like a gigantic dragon's eye and stuff like that but i wanted this morlet wavelet and she had this different pricing based on simple medium or complex design and i didn't know whether this was considered simple or medium it would definitely not complex like a dragon's eye i gave her an email and she said well what do you want on it i said a morlet wavelet she says what's that i said google it (laughs) <laughs> and uh, uh, she sent me back a picture and I uh, said, yeah, that's exactly what it is. And she said, it's a simple design. So she made this one. I've had it ever since a lot of years now. Uh, did, uh, this is basically three years in uh, from having lost the use of the eye. And Did it, uh, um, did it take a long time to readjust to look at the EEGs and no, spatial? No, or it, it, no? Without, without that eye, I can see EEG just fine. Okay. You know, the the one eye innervates both hemispheres, you know, the, the eyes got both right and left hemifield in the same eye. Uh, and you're, you're, you normally converge those two images from the left and right eye. Yeah, I just don't have the ability to converge them. Gives me um, false images if I try. Uh, again, I can take it off. It, it's, it makes things look awfully funny. And I, I get stumbly because you can't you know, I'll reach for something and grab the wrong image, you know, so. Okay. Yeah. That's, we're somewhere around 92 to 2000. We went to 2000, then we went back to 92 to do the surgery. I, 
basically where I'm trying to get to next for the next part is kind of connect the dots of the people that you've met along the way, like Mike, Mary Tracy, how you met all, you know, it's one big happy family. Um, Maybe set the table for the next show. 1996, I'm invited by uh, Julian Isaacs, uh, who was a sublet, a small office in the large suite we had in Marin. Um, And uh, I was, I was running the receiving lab. Uh, for the remnants of the California receiving operation, they had been merged and it was primarily being done in Houston, but they didn't want to lose me. And I was doing all their high end QA, QC. And there's a handful of accounts that didn't want to be handled by anybody else. So they, they would send in to me here in California. Uh, so Julian and his breaks would come in and look over my shoulder and ask about the EGs. What's that? What's that? What's that? What's that? You know, so that's um, Lambda, that's Mu, you know, the, and he, he kind of knew after a while because, uh, you know, he's, how do you know it's Lambda? But get me Niedermeyer. I got the rattiest copy of Niedermeyer. Uh, got a broken spine. Uh, the, it's all dog-eared, you know. Uh, uh, he said, well, Marvin Sampson, you can do an advanced topics QEG course at Winterbrain in Florida. T West EG, Quig, I think it was still called then. My inclination was to say no because a tech, you don't do talks for doctors. Um, you know, yeah. you shut up. You listen, but you're, you, you know, you're a tech, you're not the doc. So your opinion doesn't matter, you know, keep it to yourself. You know, he knew what I knew, but so I, I thought, well, I'm dead already. Why wouldn't I? You know, sure, yeah. I'll do it. So I went down to Key West and I'm setting up for my lecture uh, that, you know, the, the little tables at a, con- a conference just to put your laptop on in front of you. It's yeah, not like yeah. a double table. It's a little two foot wide table. And I had two rows of, of, of documents all overlaid with little gap, uh, colored tabs here and there, identifying different topic areas. I had two of those six foot tables uh, side by side, totally covered with papers. And my lecture was basically to grab a paper, wave it in the air and talk about what, what was in it, stick it back in. You know, I, it was just a f- stream of consciousness. Talk about yeah. EG, QEG with uh, acetate overlays uh, for the projection, lots of papers that it was waving in the air. Because as a tech, you got to have somebody else as the expert. You can't be the expert. So it was all these papers, you know. And I'm just about to do the talk. I look up, there's Peter Rosenfeld, who's uh, event-related potential, famous guy in the field then, uh, Camilla, Sturman, uh, Lubar, you know, all the who's who of the field are in the audience. I go, oh, shit, they're going to kill me. You know, so, you know, I said, oh, what are they going to do? They're going to kill me. You know, I'm already dead. Well, they're going to kill me, you know. And uh, but once I get going, I lose myself in the presentation. I really yeah. do. I, yeah. I, I'm very seldom really aware of the audience that that much. And it's just, you know, I'm on a roll, all excited about the topic. And uh, there's a break and there's people in the back of the room. David Trudeau is looking and Linda Kirk is looking out at me. They're, they're talking, then all of a sudden they quit talking. They all look at me, you know. And I, oh, geez, the tomatoes are coming out the second half of this talk, you know. <laughs> uh, but it was the board of then SSNR. At the end of the talk, when everything is done, David Trudeau comes up to me and says, you know, uh, we'd like you to co-chair a meeting in Aspen for SSNR. And, yeah, you know, I, I didn't know anything about SSNR. So I said, well, let me get this straight. Um 
you want me to invite keynote address people because you don't have any. You're going to pay for me to fly to Aspen. You're going to pay for my hotel room and I can invite people I want to hear. Of course I'll do it. <laughs> I mean, why, why wouldn't I do that? You know? So I immediately called Roy John and said, Roy, as Jay, uh, we're having a party in Aspen. Uh, I want you to grab uh, Leslie Pritchett, his wife, Leslie, and Bob Chabot, uh, who had published some very good studies about ADD, ADHD, and, and QEG. And I want you guys to come out and party. You're going to have to do talks, but, you know, you can do talks in your sleep. So come on out. They said, all right, give me the dates. If we got it free, we'll be there. And they gave them the dates. All right, we'll be there. And we'll cover your flight, your hotel. Uh, they flew in. It was an embarrassingly small group. There were 75 paying people at the meeting. Uh, it was fun. I mean, yeah, we, we partied, you know, just, I, yeah. I promised Ray we were going to party. So we partied, uh, you know, there were vendors that stood on the podium and, and hawked their wares. And that's subscientific. That's not a scientific meeting. That's, that's a trade show. I'd have nothing against vendors. They belong in the vendor hall. And if they're presenting at the podium, they have to have data, you know, not, not just I'm, yeah, this is my new device. You should buy it. So yeah. uh, they, the board asked me to be chair for the next year because David Trudeau, uh, who was the chair for this year in 1997, uh, was going to try to find a professional journal to publish the Journal of Neurotherapy, which at the time was a self-publication. It was on white paper. wasn't even spell-checked. It was an embarrassment. Uh, so he found Hayworth Press, who did the first Journal of Neurotherapy, uh, that, that that went through a couple of different changes. Uh, ISNR lost control of the journal and all the material in the journal. They're, they're doing their own uh, open uh, access journal now. It needed to be a professional publication. So I said, okay, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll share it under one condition. Anybody on the podium has to have data. I'm not going to let a vendor get up there trying to sell me shit. And they said, oh, fine. You know, well, one of the vendors... Uh, no. <laughs> uh, contacted me and said, uh, "Give me four hours. I got a new machine, and you know it's it's the hottest thing since sliced bread." And I said, "Well, sure, two hundred grand." <laughs> no, uh, uh, um, and I said, "Well, uh, do you have data?" He said, "No, I just want to show the device." I said, "Well, get a booth. You know, vendors get a booth. You know, and uh, and you're not getting four hours for sure. Yeah, and if you've got actual outcome data, you know, twenty sessions, and this is what happened." Um, then you might be able to get a short presentation on the podium, but unless you got data, no podium. And he complained to the board, Jay's picking on me. Uh, he's disparaging my new device. He, he actually emailed me and he's, it's a general suppression friendly. He called it a squash of, of content friendly. I responded back a few emails later calling it a squash protocol. And uh, he, he took offense at that. Anyway, he says, Jay's calling a squash protocol. He's denigrating my work, blah, 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 blah. You know, can't, you know, make him behave and give me some time on the podium. The the board said, well, can't you give him some time? I said, oh, you want to micromanage the operation of the meeting? I quit. You know, <laughs> it's, it's yours. You know, feel free. Do it however you want. Oh, no, 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 no. We don't want to lose your, you know, run it the way you want. Yeah, so they, they finally agreed that uh, he, he wouldn't get podium time. So at the meeting, we actually gave him a peck of Texas squash, which he insanely stomped on on the stage, made a freaking mess of the stage. 
Jimmy Vaughn, uh, uh, Steve Ray Vaughn's younger yeah. brother, uh, played for us, uh, but he he didn't get on stage. His band played for no fee, and they're normally a fifty thousand dollar a gig yeah. band, you know. But his manager said, you know, if you step on stage, you owe me my ten percent, five thousand dollars. If you step on the stage, whether you get paid or not, I don't give a shit. Yeah, yeah. I get my pay. Yeah. And, you know, on the floor. So he paid, he played from behind the amps. You know, you'd hear this crazy guitar lick and you'd look up and there's nobody playing it. You know, uh, he was behind. You couldn't see him on stage. Anyway, they, he played for us again in Denver, uh, about a three hours worth of set for us. And we, he had people from the group sit in playing guitar with him and stuff. I mean, it was fabulous. And how'd you, how'd you get connected to him? Linda Kirk in Austin. Uh, she knew him well enough and invited okay, got him. Got it, got it, got it. And uh, he was, uh, he had a commercial gig the next night. They did two 45 minute sets. And believe me, nobody from that audience got on the stage to play with him, you know? So, <laughs> so anyway, it was uh, some of the Europeans were at the meeting and said, you know, you get a major blues band playing music for the group and it's outrageously good. And this isn't like any scientific meeting we've had ever in Europe, you know? So uh, they, they were impressed and um, uh, they enjoyed the meeting and had good fun. I always planned a very good party and I invited scientists that knew neurofeedback, not at all, but they had good neuroscience and they would come over and get exposed to the neurofeedback and take it back to their lab and infect their lab with the with the virus of neurofeedback concepts. And uh, they also taught neuroscience when they were here. And the neurofeedback world needs a lot of better neuroscience education. So it worked out. I, I, we'd always have good meetings. And over a 10-year period, I ran eight meetings for ISNR, but well, ended up as ISNR. And yeah. uh, it was SSNR, then SNR, and then ISNR. And then the ISNR meaning changed, um, the same initials. Got it. Uh, but... Uh, 96, 97 was the meeting in Aspen. 98 was in Austin. So Um, 99 or the next millennium. Let me finish one thing about Austin. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, uh, David Trudeau plays bagpipes, and he's good (laughs) at it. And he piped into the party that we were holding uh, during a band break. Linda Kirk was behind him. He pipes her in and introduces her on stage. He was the uh, sergeant at arms. And he pipes her in and the bagpipes, you know, they wind down. Introducing your new president, Linda Kirk. And everybody gives a rousing, you know, applause. And she says, you know, David, I see you got this kilt on. And I hear that they don't wear anything under these kilts. And this is a professional society, damn it. She reaches into their cleavage and pulls out a tartan thong and hands it to him. The crowd goes crazy, just laughing hysterically. <laughs> I just about lost it, you know. And, and uh, it, you know, what a group, you know, uh, fabulous. I thought that's the end of that. David goes home. His wife finds a strange pair of skivvies in his suitcase. There's no way to explain this to your wife. That's going to suffice. She came to the yeah. next year's meeting. His story and Linda Kirk's story matched up I- identically. Yeah. And so she finally chilled out about it. But you don't come <laughs> home with a funny looking pair of thong in your, in your, uh, in your baggage. 
So, but the, that, that's the kind of group it was. They were fun loving, not overly full of themselves. And yeah, I, yeah, I got yeah. along great with them. It, it was a lot of fun, you know, a good party with good science. And, and it grew from 75 people in 1997 to 2005. Uh, I co-chaired the meeting. And right after I agreed to co-chair the meeting, Nolan White uh, it was offered a 10-year track. And I said, I know when I'm being set up. You invite me to co-chair and then you resign, you know. <laughs> so, um, uh, there were 500 people paying at that. And that, you know, a little over a decade later, you, you go from 75 to 500. So the, tr- the growth trajectory was really quite astounding. Um, it, it did a little shrinkage after that, but uh, yeah. that was kind of a peak. I think yeah. they're back yeah. on the ascension now. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jay Gunkelman, we, we, we've gotten to the year around 2000 or so, and uh, when we get back again, we'll continue the life and uh, stories and histories of the Jay Gunkelman. What's left of the Jay Gunkelman. What's left of Jay Gunkelman. <laughs> Jay, thank you so much for, for today, man. This is great. Sure. All right, Jay. I'll catch you, catch you next time. Next time. Get your story straight. Well, I think I tell the same story over and over and over again. Uh, Okay, just making sure. See you next week. (laughs) Thank you all for watching Neuro Noodles, Neurofeedback, and Neuropsychology Podcast. We'd like to thank our Patreon business supporters. We are supported by listeners and businesses just like you, like our gold supporter, Applied Neuroscience Incorporated, the creators of NeuroGuide, the premier EEG assessment and training software whose demo version can be downloaded from the link here. Hey, attend ANI's pre-conference workshop at the ISNR 2022 conference Wednesday, July 27th, between 8 a.m. and 4.30 p.m. The workshop will concentrate on assessment and protocol preparation using the Neuro Navigator and the Symptom Checklist, which includes cerebellar ROIs and uses SW Loretta for more precise targeting and cross-frequency coupling. Training will be introduced. And hey, if you want a coupon code, email Pete at NeuroNoodle.com. I'll hook you up. Learn more at AppliedNeuroscience.com slash NeuroGuide. Hey, Mary Tracy's Neurotraining Strategies offers a higher standard of EEG, QEG education to EEG clinicians, technicians, and neurofeedback practitioners with your convenient online BCIA and QEG certified didactic courses. Check them out at EEGstrategies.com. Hey, my media's Nexus Amplifier. Hey, full disclosure, Pete's been a customer for years, but check them out. They got a semi-dry cap coming out. You can see it live at ISNR. Say hello to great connectivity and goodbye to artifacts and paste in your client's hair. Check them out at mindmedia.com. Three things our listeners can do to help us spread the word of neurofeedback. Number one, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Number two, give us a review on whatever platform you listen to. Five stars is appreciated, but Jay Gunkelman will accept four and a half. Hey, if you have the means, please support us on Patreon slash NeuroNoodle. There are different levels in which you can support us, whether you're a mom or dad or a clinician. There's even an option where you can have your own Q&A with our own Jay Gunkelman. This support help, helps us improve the quality of our content. Hey, trying to get these video edits even better, even better. Again, we thank you all for watching. Cue the non-copyrighted music.